Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. I'm going to tell you right now, this was a hard interview. This conversation you're about to hear between me and Christy Blatchford, it was difficult. And that's not just because I've been frustrated so many times over the years with things that she's written, more things than I could possibly address in one interview. It's not because I find some of her opinions, frankly, appalling. And it's not just because of the pressure. And there is pressure. I know that there are a lot of people listening. A lot of you also have been frustrated, even angry, with the things that Christy Blatchford has said in the past. And I know that some of you are going to be looking for this to be some kind of a reckoning, a debate for me to win and for there to be some sort of justice for all those things that people are angry about. And guys, I will tell you now, that is not what is going to happen here. That's not whatever happens here on this show where I invite people as my guests to talk with me because I'm curious about them and because... The bottom line is this is a show about holding the media to account, and that's what I'm going to try to do in this interview. And I got to tell you, all of my frustrations notwithstanding, I have a certain respect for Christy Blatchford. I do. I respect her as a reporter who, despite her success, she's got very high profile, one of the most highly paid journalists in Canada. Despite that, she's never above doing the grind work involved in reporting a story. And frankly, she represents a lot of people. She's a populist writer. Whatever you think about her views, there are a lot of people out there who share them. And that made this difficult, too. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by 2,130 people who are making this whole thing possible for the rest of us. I mean, they're making it possible for me to have a job and for Katie Jensen to have a job and Jane Litvinenko and everybody who works for us part-time at Commons and the freelancers. But that's not even what I mean. I mean, they're making it possible for everybody else to listen to this show because they represent 
a small fraction of the total listenership. I mean, 2,000 plus people, we're getting 30,000 downloads of every episode of Canada Land. We're also getting 13,000 downloads per episode of Commons. And we're getting like 50,000 sessions a week on the website. And then we're doing the live tapings. That is what those 2,000 people are buying. And I am so excited right now to make an announcement to those people because what you are buying for the rest of this country just got a lot bigger. We have started to offer, with the help of a guy named Russell Gregg, Katie Jensen here has been working with Russell to offer Canada Land, combined with Canada Land Shortcuts, as an hour-long syndicated radio show that we provide to community and college radio stations across the country for free. That project has launched, it is live, and I can now tell everybody listening that Canada Land is now a national radio show across Canada. We are on the air in Calgary, Halifax, Powell River, Prince George, Sackville, St. John, Toronto, Victoria, Winnipeg, and Whitehorse. Thank you. I really can't say it enough. I mean, it strikes me from time to time just how strange this whole endeavor is. It's a strange crowdfunder. Most crowdfunders are all about a small group of super fans buying exclusive content, joining like a special club where they get content that nobody else can get. And that's why the crowdfunder works. We're like the opposite. We have a small percentage of the audience who are buying it for everybody else. And I've been told this explicitly, Jesse, if you put it behind a paywall, I will stop funding you. That is why people, I mean, people like getting the t-shirts. We have some great perks. That's not why people do it. They're doing it in order to get our content out there for everybody else, in order to make sure that somebody is keeping an eye on the media, in order to make sure that our news coverage is out there and hopefully, you know, not behind a paywall, but, but having an impact and getting picked up or influencing the larger conversation in this country. Thank you so much. And really, go have a sandwich. Go take a pee because you don't need to hear this next part. This next part is for everybody else. If you are part of the 93% of this show's listeners who do not support us financially with a buck a month or five bucks a month or something like that, if you're one of those people, we're cool. We're totally cool. Everybody wants you here. I want you to be listening. The people who are paying for the show want you to be listening as well. That's the whole idea. Hey, I have podcasts that I listen to that I don't support. It's okay. This is not a guilt trip, but it is a pledge drive. And we're going to do this once a year for a few episodes. And you might say, with so much wonderful support from a couple thousand people, why do you need to be asking for more money? Do you really need to? And the answer is yes, we absolutely do. And I'll I'll tell you why. We lose about 3% support a month. People's credit cards expire, and there are people who cancel their support. Sometimes they disagree with something I said. Sometimes they figure we've helped enough. It's cool, and you know what? I want people to be able to cancel their support easily. I only want people to be supporting us each month because they want to be doing so. So that's great. That's as it should be. But what it means is with 3% loss in total revenues every month, that's 36% a year. That's three years, and our funding dries up. So yes, we do need to always be replenishing the crowdfunding with new supporters and Yeah, I'm asking. I'm asking you if you've been thinking about this. And a lot of people, when they email me about something, they give me a story idea or whatever, I run into somebody, they say, hey, I love the show. I've been meaning to kick in a couple bucks. Forgive me. I haven't gotten around to it yet. Now is when I want you to do that. I want you to go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand right now. If you've been meaning to do it anyhow, do it now because when everybody does it at once, that's when your support is influential. That's when we get momentum. That's how crowdfunding works. When people see it growing towards the next goal, that's when other people kick in. So for you to have maximum impact, I'd like you to think about doing it now. And if you go to that site now, to patreon.com slash CanadaLand, you'll see that we've added some new rewards. We have also dropped the price. It's not $10 a month to get a t-shirt from us. For the next 30 days, it's $7 a month, and you'll get an incredible t-shirt and a new reward. It's this oversized poster. This very intricate, stylish poster designed by Montreal designer Raymond Bissinger. It's pretty special. Everybody should go have a look at this thing just to check it out at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Have a look at the poster. For 7 bucks a month, you get that, a t-shirt, and thank you on the air. But really, whatever you can help us with, whatever you're comfortable with, it helps. We've added some new incentives and rewards for people who can afford to part with a little bit more each month or who want to up their pledge each month. Check it out. We think they're kind of interesting. As I said, I don't think these perks, these sweeteners, that's not why you do it. You do it so that we can keep doing what we're doing and do more and go further. 
And we don't want to just stand still. We want to go further. And so that's the next thing I'm going to announce today. We, we've already got the next milestone up there. $12,000 gets us a legal defense fund, which we really need in order to break some of the stories we've been investigating. But we have just added another goal to our crowdfunder. If you guys can get us to $15,000 a month, we are going to launch another new podcast. Canada is voracious about arts and culture. We produce so much arts and culture. We consume it. We're always trying to discover what's interesting in arts and culture. We love to criticize and analyze it, but we only have one national arts and culture show in this country, and that is CBC's Q. And frankly, we think we can do better. We think we can make a better arts and culture show than that. And we would love to have a chance to try. And as soon as you get us to $15,000 a month, we're going to go for it. Okay, that's enough for now. Let's get to the show. We've made sure that we've got three really strong shows during this three-episode crowdfunding campaign. I've also got new things to announce each time I push this crowdfunder. But for now, let's get to Christy Blatchford. And next week on Canada Land, number 100, I'll be interviewing Margaret Atwood. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Thank you very much for coming. My pleasure. And we do start with the, uh, always start with the disclosure if somebody is a supporter of the show. And Christy Blatchford, you're a supporter of CanadaLand. I am. I was uh, turned on to CanadaLand by my friend Mary McIntyre, who, with whom I run. And she's a supporter too, I believe. And uh, anyway, she just suggested that it was a good thing to have independent media criticism. And I agreed. So there you go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I have so much I want to ask you about, and there's so much of your work in your career that I want to discuss. And I hate to start off with something contentious, but I have to. I don't know how else to begin a conversation with you. Sure. Within hours of the Gameshi story that I wrote with Kevin Donovan, the Toronto Star coming yep. out, you had a response in the post. It's weird. The language has changed. For me, it's just a column, right? You wrote a column. Yeah. In which you described him as a victim of bullying. Gameshi was a victim of bullying. You called our story a low watermark for journalism. You said he was being lynched by the press. You called with specific reference, I think, to the, the story that Donovan and I put out there where we had four allegations of serious sexual assault or harassment. You said this is McCarthyism. And I'm not bringing this up because you hurt my feelings or I'm offended. No, no, of course. I understand that. Um, it's not about me. I just I, – what did you mean? That it's McCarthyism and that he was being lynched. Well, remember at the time, I mean, at, and for a very long time, I think even as the number of Gameshi's accusers grew, there were no names attached. And remember, I'm a court reporter. Um, so I believe in – mostly I'm a court reporter. And I really believe in the process of an accused person having the right to 
face his accuser, to do it where there's rules that everybody understands, etc. But wherever the accusers get the protection of anonymity and the person doesn't really alarms me. And I do think it is a lynch mob mentality. So that's what concerned me. And also in the very beginning, I mean, as unappetizing as Gameshi's Facebook post was, I've covered an awful lot of he said, she should said things. Very, you know, I mean, what happens in bedrooms and between people is so bloody complicated, even when it's simple and fully consensual, that I think there's lots of shades of gray. So, uh, I mean, I was clearly wrong uh, in terms of the heft of the story. I mean, the story was pretty hefty, it turned out, and people did come forward. Uh, a couple of them did complain to the police, launched, and we're going to have a trial pretty soon in the new year. So I think that's good. Anyway, I'm probably going on too long, but, but that's my instinctive gut reaction is when I see somebody being attacked anonymously, I am concerned. You feel that you were wrong? Yeah, of course I was wrong. I mean, I, I think I was proven wrong. Uh, I mean, when you say McCarthyism, I mean, we're talking about, like, the state turning against its own citizens, people smearing each other in the press, lives being ruined, the whole apparatus of the state with the you know acquiescence of journalists, uh, the Red Scare, uh, a witch hunt. You have a great advantage over me. I haven't read that story any more than I read any of my pieces after I wrote it. Yeah, no, that's a quote. You, you call it McCarthyism. Yeah, read me the quote. Okay, the headline is, John Gameshi and other men vilified by anonymous accusers in the press. What we have here is another modern tale of bullying, another low watermark in journalism, and another man vilified by anonymous accusers. McCarthyism, anyone? I I don't want to, like, flog a dead horse. I mean, you're saying that you were wrong now, but there there was no correction or you've never walked that back. So I didn't know until just now that you felt any different than what you— Well, I mean, I I wrote again about uh, Gameshi, and I I think a couple of times more. So I I think it was clear. Believe me, I have no— no trepidation about admitting I'm wrong. Um, but admitting an opinion is wrong is a very different thing than admitting that you got the facts wrong. Um, I thought that in few other later columns on this subject that it became apparent what I thought and why I thought it. And, and it's the very sort of thing I just talked to you about, uh, which is, you know, I'm a devotee of the criminal courts, of due process, of innocent until proven guilty, and of playing and of un- this all unfolding in a place where there are rules yeah. and, and checks and balances. And I think clearly McCarthyism is the wrong word um, for me to have used. I was wrong. All I can tell you is that, and I'm sure, or maybe you're not the same, but I, my hunch is that most of us don't Uber analyze quickly the next day or the next week each piece that we've written. I mean, it, it's just not the kind of business, in in my view or in my practice of it anyway, that lends itself to an awful lot of that. Yeah, I don't want to get super granular. I, I don't. I didn't know until now. I mean, because there are people who think that the what's happening now with women coming forward, many of them anonymously, and talking about men who you know they allege. Uh, abuse them in various ways. Some people do think that that's a witch hunt and that that's reminiscent of McCarthyism. Um, so I, I didn't know if you felt differently until just now. Well, in a general way, I don't walk it back. Uh-huh. In, a, in a general way, I think there is a tendency, and we saw it in the um, been raped, never reported hashtag, um, where women who never complained before, who never made formal complaints before, are suddenly now, and I appreciate the cathartic effects of disclosure, but I think it's a very different thing when we are to presume that all victims are telling the truth, all alleged victims are telling the truth, whether they're victims of, of alleged sexual assault or anything else, because the human condition is to lie and fudge and misremember and mislead. I don't mean they all do that, but I don't think there should be carved in stone the principle that any woman coming forward alleging sexual assault should be believed any more than anybody coming forward and alleging some sort of criminal misconduct should be automatically believed. People lie. I've seen it. You know, I've seen people swear to tell the truth and lie their faces off. False allegations happen. I'm not aware, and maybe I just haven't found the story yet, I'm not aware of any story ever where somebody has faced multiple allegations. Um, and, you know, to make it analogous to the Gameshi case where some of the people didn't even know each other making allegations, that turned out to be some grand conspiracy. And it seems like people are terrified of false allegations from women. And we don't have such a huge historical record of that happening. But we do know, unless you argue the point, we do know that there's tons of unreported rape out there. 
that that happens all the time. Like, I guess I was going to ask you if you th- if you still think we were wrong to run the story, but but um, no, actually, I don't. Though I still have my reservations about. You know, either it was good enough to run earlier before Gameshi posted his Facebook post, yeah, or it wasn't. And it's the same thing with the Rob Ford story, you may remember, which the star broke, which totally, was totally. Robin Doolittle, now with the Globe, is at a party. Uh, they hear about the Gawker going with it. Uh, then they decide they're going to go with Forget it. about hearing it. It was after Gawker, actually. Yeah, Gawker had gone with it. Yeah. Quite right. I, I, I can so, say the same. Like, if a reporter, if they saw with their own eyes yes. that footage. If you can't report what you see with your own eyes. I agree. Then we're starting off in a better place than Who I thought. <laughs> well, okay. Let's. But these are these are important questions to talk about anyway, because they're decisions that organizations make or that reporters make, like me. And I, I mean, I am wrong so often, uh, as I hope people will admit they're wrong in the same business. So, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear you saying that now, and I hear you saying that you think your subsequent columns on Gameshi sort of communicated that. I got to tell you. Working with those sources, their big fear was that this would happen and they wouldn't be believed. And there was a moment after that first story came out before subsequent women went on the record where it seemed like he had 100,000 people supporting him. He had high-profile members of the press such as yourself supporting him. And those I women was felt, never supporting him. When you say that he's a victim of bullying, this, he's, he's, he's the target of a lynching and this is McCarthyism, it sounds like you're supporting him. Well, maybe. Uh, and if, I, if you're one of the accusers, you know, you put yourself in those shoes. Yeah, yeah, sure. I understand that. But I, I mean, I, I don't like to see women behaving in a timid way. I mean, I think if— What do you mean by that? Well, I think that we are fully capable human beings. I think if somebody touches you inappropriately or sexually assaults you, then you call him on it. And you call him on it not by going to the Wild West that is the Internet. You call the police. You get a rape kit kit done if— that's what is required. You give a statement, etc. I mean, those systems, I know people don't like them, and they're tough, but they work. They don't work. The they va- do work. The vast majority of sexual assault allegations, if you, th- there's a lot of research done. You can look at how we go from the claim to the conviction and how many people have to go through that horrific process. It's how- not that horrific either. It's horrific sometimes. I've actually covered sexual assault trials. One of the ones that I covered was a very famous one or infamous one involving a hockey coach named David Frost. Uh-huh. The women there who testified, I believed – Absolutely. And I said so. So did all the other reporters who were covering it. The man was acquitted and it was the right result. I mean, you can have both things you, because this is the courts. This is law. It's different. You have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that somebody is guilty. That's what happens in the courts, and it's not specific to sexual assault and rape. That's people, right. People who are guilty get off all the time because we have a very high standard for conviction. As we should. This is not the court. This is public opinion. This is a conversation on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we're free to discuss. Oh, no, no. Of course we're free to discuss, but I'm telling you that I am much more comfortable in the place where there are rules than in the place where there are no rules. You're not always comfortable with that place. No, I mean, no. I'm very critical of with that With the place. Steph Guthrie story, you called yep. it – I mean, that's a story where a woman – Came forward, her, used her own name, yep. put herself Absolutely. In, in, under extreme scrutiny. Yep. And the court said, the Crown said, yeah, we find this legitimate enough to lay charges. Yes. And there's a trial. Yes. And you said that this is a, a mockery, that this is. Uh, well, I also said what a wonderful, bright, tough young woman Steph Guthrie is. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, don't say, yeah, like it was something casual. I did it at some length. I think she is all of that. I have a lot of admiration for her. She is also a feminist, and there's nothing wrong with being a feminist. I'm a feminist too. But she is a, an activist feminist. With a bit of an agenda, I think. I mean, her. Of course, a feminist has an agenda. No, no, but these are things that weigh in in your credibility in in a courtroom. Yeah. That's all. He was never the 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 off, the investigating officer who laid the charge testified, and he testified he could not find one instance where Greg Elliott, Gregory Elliott, yeah. had either threatened or sexu- said anything sexually inappropriate to Steph Guthrie. So, but that's not the charge. No, no, the, but the charge is criminal harassment, yeah. right, via Twitter. Yeah. And the definition of harassment is is what? She blocked him. He he was creepy sometimes, I quite, I quite grant you, and I gave an example of that in one of my columns. Anyway, you, you were, I'm not 
you ask a question. <laughs> I, I don't want to just ramble on here. I think that your praise of Steph Guthrie is, was felt totally legitimate. I, I, I sense, it was totally legitimate. Look, I think you were you're curious about her. I, I like to read you because I believe in a way that I don't with a lot of columnists that you're grouped with. I think that you care about the stuff you write about and you do the footwork. You're there and you show up and, and I, I buy your curiosity. But there, are, but I have big problems with some of the – C'est la vie, man. You know? oh, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about it. I mean so, so in the Steph Guthrie case, I share your concerns about that. I mean I think that this is a case where, where we're going to find out where the line is on harassment. And to tell people who don't know this is so Steph Guthrie – had a falling out in her online uh, activism. This guy, Gregory Elliott, was, I guess, an ally for some time. They had a falling out, at which point she blocked him on Twitter. And as I understand the charges, he sent copious amounts of obsessive harassing tweets where he tweeted at the complaints. He sent subtweets at the complaints. He monitored their feeds. He did this knowing that they blocked him, that they did not want contact with him. So he, he continued to kind of call them out and dog them. And the question that you're asking, which is a great question, is where do we draw the line between disagreeing with someone online yeah. in a public forum and harassing them? And the Crown has said, well, we feel that this has crossed the line into harassment enough that we're going to lay charges. And the court said, well, we're going to hear this. So what you wrote was – and you've written many columns about this. And in, I covered it. And in day. some of your columns, you got into more depth about what Gregory, Gregory Allen Elliott actually did. Yes. But in one column that blew up, all you said about his actions – was that his chief sin appears to be that he dared to disagree with two, two young feminists and political activists. And in that column, if I read that column and nothing else that you wrote, I would have no idea that this guy was relentlessly, relentlessly going after them online. And there was a consequence to that column. I did a video with Steph Guthrie a couple of years ago, and it, it was sitting dormant on YouTube. Nobody watched it or commented it for like a year. And the day that you posted that, that piece where – a casual reader would have no idea what these harassment charges were actually based on. The comment section of that video on YouTube was overrun with violent rape and death threats directed at, at Steph Guthrie, which, which certainly, certainly crossed the line into criminal threats. Good. I hope somebody follows up with it. Well, there are, you know, anonymous threats on YouTube, so yeah. I, I doubt very much yeah. that anyone did. That column of yours became a rallying point. For people who felt that feminism has gone too far and that men are being th thrown into court for daring to disagree. Reading that column, I would have no opportunity to know what the guy actually did. Well, I, I mean, first of all, it, I get at most a thousand words a day. So I can't recap in every column, every nuance of the thing. So I have to give my readers some credit that if they're interested in the case, they'll follow me and they'll understand it. And that's a bit the same defense, if you like, that I offer with the with the Gameshi thing, you know? I mean, my doesn't your opinion develop as stories change and the world changes? Mine does. Uh, I'm not afraid to get it wrong or whatever, and it's not even getting it wrong. I, I just, I guess it's the evolution of my opinion. So maybe you're right. Maybe somebody could read that and not have any idea what the case is all about, but I can't recap three months worth of a case in every single column. And, you know, I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't aware, speaking of surprises, until you said that this caused a huge blow up and became a rallying cry for, I presume you mean men's rights movement. Yeah, the MRA and, guys got all up in arms about it. Who, of whom I am very suspicious and yeah. I don't follow them and I don't monitor them. So I didn't realize it had become a, a great uh, sort of rallying point for them. But I can't control how people react I can only control what I write. And I, yeah, I, look, I'm not nitpicking here because it's a trend where I read your recent column about you profiled this woman who's been who spent over 10 years in prison yeah. as an anti-abortion protester. And she's out there with her placard at the clinics by herself yep. getting thrown into, into jail again and again and again. And I know where I stand on that issue. I know that I'm pro-choice. It doesn't mean that I'm not interested in this person who is so compelled by her convictions that she – really for speech, has spent 10 years in— And seven months. In, and seven months in prison. That is a totally fascinating story, and you pursue it as a freedom of speech issue. But there's a voice missing in that piece. How does it feel to walk past her on your way to having an abortion? Or how does she feel about the people who have to walk past her? It's just—that side of it is just not in there. 
Well, again, I mean, I'm not writing a history of the abortion movement in Canada or the pro-choice movement. I personally am wildly pro-choice, but I think that I don't want – I'm an absolutist, I guess. As a contrarian, you're in this really strange space because the contrarian positions you take, which incite such a strong reaction, you're not totally out on some independent limb. I mean, when you say – that you argue that Nigel Wright on the stand is actually a really principled guy. And, and In a funny, pragmatic way. <laughs> or that the boy who took a picture of himself having sex with Retea Parsons while she was vomiting drunk. It was another boy who took a picture of him. Oh, I'm sorry, who shared the picture yes. of himself. That that boy is brave and courageous. Well, I thought he was because he didn't, he didn't think. He maintains, of course, that it was consensual sex, albeit with a drunk young woman who was at some points vomiting. Um, so I, Which might not be under legal terms consensual. No, no, I understand that. I'm, but what I admired was that the easier thing that day in court to sort of get people off his back, if you like, the, the great lynch mob out there, would have been to, he did apologize for having... Now, did he say – I'm sorry. I'm mixing the two up. I can't remember if he, he – said that he takes responsibility for sharing the picture, but he takes okay. no responsibility for her killing herself. Well, and, you know, the, the, it wasn't a straight line. I think suicide is always a very complicated business. Totally. You don't – It took she a lot of people – She didn't go from A to B. Because, she had and, to be failed by a lot of different people. Yes. And a culture, I think, for yes, that, for that to agree. be the consequence. I agree. It doesn't render it less tragic, but it renders it less all of it his fault. I'm trying to kind of take a bird's eye view of these positions you take. Yeah, I know. But you know you, p- no. Police carding is, is invaluable. You know, Nigel Wright is a man of deep principle. Toronto is a city of sissy men who hug. Gameshi is a victim. That boy is brave and courageous. As a whole, they're not really contrarian positions if you look at who they support. Like, Nigel Wright is a principled man. And this, and, the, and and you've also suggested that the Duffy trial is kind of overblown. That's that's what Stephen Harper says. You know, I mean, there there's a whole community that rallied around those boys. So you're often which boys? Those boys uh, was a very tiny community. Most of the people rallied around appropriately. So the dead girl. I, I, it feels to me like you're usually reacting to what the media is saying. Sometimes I am sure. Sometimes I'm doing what you do in a way. What I like about your work, as opposed, to, you know, there was a piece in Vice recently. Why do uh, so many of Canada's female columnists write like they hate women? Where you were grouped with Margaret Wente and, and, and Barbara Kay, and you're often mentioned in, in, in the same breath as Barbara Kay, Barbara Emile, Margaret Wente, and Christy Black. The difference to me is that they strike me as ideologues and they're closed minded, I think, and they're just repeating the same talking points again and again. And you are a reporter who is on stories. That is to me the difference too is that, you know, I I do it sometimes uh, because, you know, it's a busy world. Sometimes I write out of my ass. But most of the time, and certainly this is how I prefer to write, I'm actually covering something. And then I write. But there is an ideology to these positions you take. If I take them as a whole, there there is. I don't see it, but You write about women's issues a lot. You think? Yeah. I think so. Well, I I mean, I don't know. I think if you looked over my – I mean, maybe I do. Uh, You're the reader, not me. I'm just the producer. So um, I don't ever look – I told you at what I do. I can't remember, honestly, what I wrote about last week. Yeah. You know, it's just too much, and I've done it for so long that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember. That doesn't mean it isn't important to me. But I would bet that if you looked at what I covered last year, you would find that really I don't write about women's issues very much. When the Supreme Court issued a report saying that they found there to be, like, rampant culture of sexism in the military. That wasn't the Supreme Court. That was a former Supreme Court judge. Thank you. I'm and sorry for And it is an appalling frigging report. Which the military essentially has accepted as true. Sure, they did. And right. that was their mistake. What I mean— Frankly. The evidence that you offered in response is that you've spent a lot of time around the military and you often are the most salty language, crude person no, around. That is, that's, the, that's not the evidence. The evidence, the only evidence I have is that I have spent a fair bit of time with soldiers. And the evidence isn't that I swear more than they do. The evidence is, like any other group of Canadians, only ones I particularly like, I did not see, and I do not think that you can hide a completely misogynist, poisonous culture. 
I think it's it's pretty evident. Wouldn't you have to be a young woman coming up through the ranks to say that with any authority? No, I, I don't. I mean, I think they're legitimate voices, obviously, but I don't know. I don't. Do you have to have cancer to know what it's like to be sick? I don't think so. I think you have to do more than hang out with a lot of soldiers as a journalist who and they know that there's a journalist among them. Maybe. I think you're, I mean, and I appreciate why you're doing it, but you're, you're simplifying in some cases, you know, what I've said. Well, yeah, I, I'm summarizing. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, sure. you know, and I appreciate that you're, you're always on a new story. You don't remember what you wrote, but what we're trying to do is look at it all. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, like I, I kind of try to understand you as, and, I, and I, I wonder if I'm situating you correctly. Like you have, a, I think, a consistent critique of feminist arguments that we see popping up in the culture. And you yourself— um, entered journalism at an interesting time as a woman, and I think that things have changed dr- drastically. And like, like is this is this wildly off base? Like, I think it used to be that when women, at a certain wave of feminism, when women wanted to do serious journalism, the standards were okay if you can hack it in this boys' culture. Yeah, I think that's probably true. We're not going to make any special concessions for you, but you're allowed in. Yep. And the conversation I think has shifted from. Are women allowed in and allowed to compete to, well, you know what, why is it about succeeding on the terms of a man's world? Maybe the terms need to change. Yeah, no, I understand that that's how the conversation has shifted. It it probably, maybe it'll make it easier for other women. I hope it does. Uh, But I'm not convinced that either, I'm not convinced that both of those things aren't a bit of an extreme position. In other words, when I started in 1973 or 72, and I was expected to fit in and I did, or say if I was starting out now and I would expect them to adjust to me. I, I think both are a, a little bit unrealistic. I think somewhere in the middle is the ideal thing where, you, where you're not going to get your ass grabbed by, right. or somebody's going to be making crude remarks in front of you, but neither should everybody have to be delicate and sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering if it's uh, an appropriate characterization to say you know, that a generation of women who had to tough it out and succeed on men's terms are sort of turning it on women today and saying, suck it up. You got to tough it no, out, too. I don't, I don't think so. At least I, speaking only for myself, I don't feel that. I, I mean, and I, I didn't – frankly, it wasn't a question of toughing it out. Not every woman is going to want to work in a, you know, predominantly male environment. Not every woman's going to want to be a soldier. Not every woman's going to want to be a sports reporter. I think for those who want to do it, that's fine. But I don't think you need affirmative action to make sure that 50% of sports reporters are female or 50% of any group No, are no, female. we're not talking about that. No, no, but I mean, in a way we are. So it wasn't so hard back in the day is what I'm trying to say. A lot of what you are suggesting in your opinions, not the coverage, but the, the positions you take are people are making a fuss and they don't need to be. Well, I'm not sure I think the job of a journalist is to do either thing. I mean, I don't think I should comfort, you know, those in power, and I don't think I should comfort necessarily those who aren't. I'm do you think not- you should give a voice to people who are having a tough time? I mean, you know— Well, of course, and I, I think if, you know, if you were to look over my entire career, I, would, I, I have done that. Uh, not always, certainly, and not every time have I taken the correct stance, but yeah, sure. How about Linda Gibbons, the woman you mentioned, the, the pro-life protester— uh, Nobody gave her much of a voice until I spoke. Why? She's done 10 years and seven months in jail. Yeah. That's certainly comforting the afflicted. Just because I, I disagree with her opinion, does it mean I shouldn't do it? No, of course it doesn't. That's fair enough. Uh, I mean, maybe even more so that you don't agree with her. It's interesting to look at this in totality. I mean, you are still a reporter and other people – you know, I mentioned some of them. It's easier in a lot of ways to just be a columnist or an, an opinion. Well, I'm not smart enough. And I'm not being cute with you. I'm not a deep thinker, and I'm not smart enough to consistently write out of my ass. Both in choosing to continue to be a reporter and not just write out of your ass, but also in what you choose to report. Because, you know, you're a very high-profile reporter slash columnist. You could report on whatever you want. You seem to be drawn to murder and rape and— Well, that is my beat. I do have a specialty, and my specialty is court reporting. That's your specialty, but, I mean, there's there's a choice in there, too, right? Well, sure, but, I mean, I was hired by the National Post uh, whenever it was four years ago as a court reporter. Yeah. Court well, columnist, sorry. 
Right. I guess I think that if you wanted to cover something differently, sure, somebody I would probably get, could. You probably yeah, could. Yeah, no, no. So there's an element of choice in there, certainly. I like the courtroom. You write about extremities of human behavior, ex- extreme crimes, and you take what some people consider to be extreme positions. Is this, is this, am I like like a shrink here, or is this not just? Um, well, I I don't know what the... I'm wildly extrapolating here. No, no, I, I mean, you're, you're right, I certainly choose, but, I, you know, if you're going to cover the courts, the criminal courts, the thing that is the most gre- egregious crime is murder. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to cover that. And the second sort of factor that weighs into it are the... What's going to be interesting to people? What are people maybe going to want to read about? Uh, you know, uh, uh, come on, come on! You're not looking for trouble. No, I'm certainly not looking for trouble. I mean, I, uh, I'm sure I have done it, but I can't remember when I did it. If I did it, most of the time, I'd say the great majority of the time, what I write is something that I care about, I believe in, or I've covered. I mean, or all three, preferably. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't think I'm a contrarian who takes a contrarian position to incite the web or to get people angry at me or reading me or anything like that. Honestly, I don't. I mean, it may be that by my choices, that's what happens, but I don't choose them for that reason. I mean, what did Ken Finkelman say? He was slagging you on, on Gameshi's show way back when. He said, you, you run towards if a baby is drowned or burned, that's, you're, you're all over it. And then- ah, you, you said Finkelman was on the Gameshi show? Yeah. I used the Gameshi show as a narcotic. The only time I've ever listened to him was when I was covering the Shafia trial in Kingston. And I, it was a three-month-long trial. That's the family who were killed by their brother and uh, father. You may remember all girls. Yeah. That's another example of my extreme anti-feminism, I suppose, that I should go and cover a case where four women were killed by two Stone Age men from Afghanistan. Anyway, um, I was living in Kingston in a little rented house, and if I couldn't get to sleep, I would turn on CBC and hear the replay of Gameshi's show in the morning. He was so sleep-inducing, I never heard more than 30 seconds of it, and I was in the zone. Yeah. Isn't that funny? He loves all, you. All these people, when the story first broke, are saying, oh, my God, I loved that show. He was so great. I have no idea. He put me to sleep. Well, you're going to go cover that trial, so get ready for— Yes, uh, I am. What's the contrarian position on that? You haven't covered it yet. You don't know. I don't know, uh, but I, I know his lawyer, and he has probably, in every sense of the word, the hottest lawyer in the country. She is. Marie Hannon is, you know— she is ferocious. She was the lawyer for David Frost in yeah. the earlier sex assault case that I mentioned, and uh, she is a formidable lawyer. When you talk about these cases, my knowledge that for the uh, over 20 allegations of pretty serious things, uh, only a few of those have resulted in criminal charges. Well, uh, yeah, I think he's facing four counts of sexual assault in the first trial and then a separate one in the yeah. summer that, that year. Like all of these cases, you're often dealing with things that happened a long time ago and one person's word against the other. Which is why it's good to report contemporaneously. And he's going to, in the total possibility that he is found to be not guilty, he's going to consider himself exonerated. And a lot of people are going to think that this whole thing was was the McCarthyist witch hunt. I don't think anybody would think that. But I think, you know, it's all very well and good to bemoan the high standards of proof in the courts and... You know, the fact that people sometimes who are guilty get off, but when it's you who is the accused, you'll be awfully glad for the presumption of innocence and for the fact that you will not be sent to prison or whatever the punishment is unless the crown has proven it beyond a reasonable doubt. I think these are very comforting concepts when it's you, me, who is the accused. Yeah, I I don't argue with that. I I guess I feel like what I'm frustrated about in this conversation is... The court of public opinion is the only court that you and I argue in. When I think back on my sources in that story and their reluctance to come forward and and everything that it took to get them to – and they did come forward. They didn't use their names and I don't blame them for that. But they did come forward. I think that they did something that was incredibly brave and courageous and I know the impact it had on their lives. What they were afraid of was the court of popular opinion. They saw what happened to somebody who made a far lesser allegation about Gameshi Online – and these days, the way that a person can be 
harangued and threatened and harassed and the way that that can follow them through their entire lives, that was as real a threat as whatever might happen in a courtroom. And we have a position in the press of – and it's something that you do all the time. If you feel like things are going too much one way, you try to offer – you know, you put your finger on the scale and say, what about this? What about this other way of looking at it? We've gone too far. Shouldn't we – and without those – without their bravery, the criminal charges never would have happened, Right. That this shouldn't have happened in the press, it should happen in a court. It never would have gone to court if that story hadn't come out. But that isn't necessarily the only way it could have. What could have happened is that when he allegedly – I'm still going to use the word alleged because, you know, when he hit, assaulted, beat up these women, had they gone in a contemporaneous way to the police, that's the way it also could have unfolded. It, it doesn't have – I don't disagree with you that your story – gave courage or heart or impetus for those women and then from those women to other women and ultimately we got the criminal charges. But of course, if any one of them had gone on their own, on her own, to the police in the first instance, and I appreciate because it's Gameshi, it would have been a high-profile, beloved figure apparently, that it would have been even more complicated. But I know a couple of cops on the sex assault uh, Squad, I can't imagine they would have been met with anything other than, you know, respect. Christy, we don't even have the time for me to like, like to get into what a manipulative, abusive relationship where there's the threat of blackmail, where there's mind fuckery. Like to get into every reason why that didn't happen is a conversation that would take fair, us. Fair enough. But, 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 but don't then don't say that couldn't have happened. It could have happened. I mean, I. I'm saying these are complicated issues. I'm sorry. The, the guy, it's very possible he was up to this for decades. Yeah. Who's saying he's not? And I'm not saying that. nobody did what you're suggesting. Were all of those people cowards? Were all of those people? No. Isn't, doesn't it bother, from a justice point of view, the culture, the legal, all of it combines into a framework where it's possible. We're not going to say that, but it's possible that he was doing that and beating the shit out of women for decades without that lever being pulled. Shouldn't our focus in the press be on why the hell don't women feel comfortable pulling that lever? And when we write about when they do come forward in the press, doesn't that have an impact on whether or not they come forward? And what responsibility do we take for that? I don't disagree. These are all good questions, but, uh, I mean, I guess my view is of women, and not unsympathetically, but I think we are tougher than that. I think women can and should act and complain. I do. So it in a contemporaneous way. And you know why I say contemporaneous? Because then there's more evidence. The mem- people's memories are better. Everything can work better. If you're raped today, complain tomorrow. You know. So yes, I, I know it's complicated. I know people were scared. I mean, they were scared in part because the CBC created this mythology around the guy. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a misogynist, poisonous workplace, don't talk about the military. Talk about the CBC. We can talk about both. But it's clear to me that that was the way it was. And I know individually some young women, you know, either complained to the boss or uh, – and were told blowing off uh, and did the right thing. I mean, within – Catherine Burrell complained. Yeah. And within that spectrum, there are women who complained. I agree. And good for them. But wh- what's the answer? I mean, the answer is the CBC management should have done something about it, right? I think it's a lot like the Retea Parsons case. It takes a lot of people looking the other way and doing the wrong thing. It takes a whole – this is what – when people say rape culture, this is what they're talking about, is that it takes it's, – it's collective guilt. And yes, it's it, – it, maybe you can't – I mean with Gameshi, you can point a finger and, and lay blame. But with a lot of these cases of why it was overlooked and how things were allowed to get so bad, it takes it takes a whole culture to, to allow these things to happen and happen again and happen again. And we, we can do something about the culture. Well, sure. And I, I, I think the, the discussion all of this generates probably will do something for the culture, probably will make it better and will make it easier, et cetera, for women to come forward. But I don't think you should absolve. And I, I'm not – I don't think you can absolve the critical players. My friend Tracy Nesley, I, I quote this all the time, but I don't like to quote without attribution, know who to be mad at. In the Retea Parsons case, you'd be mad at the boys, be mad at the 
maybe at the parents, be mad at the school, be mad at whoever. In Gameshi, be mad at Gameshi first. Be mad at the people who enabled Gameshi. Be mad at the CBC brass for not doing enough. So you have rings, you triage your collective guilt. I am not as guilty in the, in the Gameshi thing, for instance, as the guy to whom Gameshi reported. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just a bit easy to say we're all guilty and we all have to change it. No, it's hard to say that. I mean, I was there when Catherine Burrell, my friend, was harassed by him and I didn't do anything. It's hard to say. That's not easy. No, I, I'm, well, you're right. I didn't know you were there. I mean. Chrissy, I, I, I really appreciate you being. I'm sorry. It's been so frustrating for you. I, look, you're my guest here and, and I, uh, that means something to me. And I really do appreciate that you came here for this conversation. I, I hope you come back again. Yeah, absolutely. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding page, if you haven't been there before, please go check it out now, is at patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. And the next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.